Welcome to episode 85 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 9. We are one spirit, one soul, one world, and together we are creating a library of stories and life lessons. I am your host, Hamida, and I want to bring you stories because stories matter, stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Listeners, to begin this episode, I want to remember Sidney Poitier, the iconic Hollywood actor who passed on a few days ago on January 6th. I intend to watch a few of his classics again, such as To Sir With Love, Guess Who Is Coming to Dinner, and Lilies of the Field. I am traveling to India this week, and I'm taking my HBO Max app with me. I hope it works there so that I can watch them while I'm there. There are two reasons to start this episode with a few of Sidney Poitier's sayings. First, I liked him as an actor for his amazing acting and as a person for what he said and spread. Second, for his relevance to this episode, which I will talk to you about later. Here are some of Sidney Poitier's powerful quotes. I am the me I choose to be. I wouldn't change a single thing because one change alters every moment that follows it. On fighting through struggle, he says, we are imperfect creatures. We are. That's what it is. But we should try reaching for the better you, the better me. There is pain and there is difficulties and there is fears and all the kinds of things that we live with. But it is through them we have to reach. We have to reach out, not just to each other, but to the universe. On celebrating life, he says, I have this feeling that life is so magically created that if I respect it, that respect will come circling back to me in ways I don't even know. This he said in a, in a 2000 interview with Oprah for O oh, the Oprah magazine. And lastly, if I am remembered for having done a few good things, and if my presence here has sparked some good energies, that's plenty. Besides remembering Sidney Poitier for the actor that he was, he is relevant for our show today because today's guest was an actor as well. He was a stage actor. And for those who enjoyed the movie Grease, like I did, which I actually still view once every few years, our guest played Danny Zuko in the first ever world premiere production of Grease. If you remember, this role was originally played by John Travolta in the movie. Our guest was also a wannabe movie star, but what happened while he was in Los Angeles and how he ended up teaching businesses and executives the art of storytelling is something you must hear from him directly. I loved talking to him because like me, he believes that stories are powerful. So let's hear him tell his story, everyone. Join me in welcoming Doug Stevenson. Doug, welcome to Sharing Life Lessons. It is wonderful to have you on as a guest. Thank you very much. Great to be here. The way Doug and I met was I reached out to him via LinkedIn because Doug is a professional storyteller because sharing life lessons is all about stories and we all learn from each other's stories. I thought Doug would be a perfect fit as a guest for this podcast. And so I reached out to him and he graciously accepted. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Can you start us off by telling us something about yourself? Well, I have quite a fascinating background, having lived over 70 years of life, trying different things, going in different directions. At this point, I am recently retired from my storytelling and business career over the last 25 years of teaching storytelling 
in business to leaders, to salespeople, to HR professionals, to fundraisers, to professional speakers, people who want to become professional speakers. Over a, a period of time, I developed a methodology called the story theater method. And out of that, I wrote the book, which teaches the methodology. You can get this book on uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, either as a hard copy or as a downloadable. But I've been teaching this methodology for the last 25 years all over the world, 18 countries, all over the United States, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, large and small companies, helping people who realize the power of story to influence and persuade, to sell, to market, to brand themselves or their product or service. So I've been doing that for 25 years, and it just keeps evolving and evolving and becoming more and more practical at the same time that it's so emotionally significant for people because I have told stories and then run into somebody five years later at a conference that I mm -hmm. attend every year, and mm -hmm. somebody will come up to me five years later and say, oh, you're that look for the limo guy, aren't you? I saw you five years ago. And they remember my story. <laughs> They remember my message. They remember the, the imagery of the story. And then they remember me. So story is powerful in that it markets and sells you, your ideas, your products, your services. But at this point, I'm retired. I'm off the road. No more planes, no more airports. I just get to sit back and do a lot of coaching like this. No more trains, planes, and automobiles for you, huh? <laughs> for the listeners, I will have links to Doug's website in the show notes, and you will have a link to where you can buy the book from there as well. Right. right. I've got all kinds of learning resources. Wonderful. Doug, one question before I let you get onto your story. Why storytelling? That's such a unique profession. Why did you choose that as a profession? Actually, it shows me. I mean, I started out to be an actor in Hollywood, studying acting, devoting my life to acting, uh, doing plays, movies, TV, all of that. Uh, and when I left acting, when it didn't work out for me, I ended up moving to Colorado Springs from Hollywood. I became a realtor. And in real estate, I discovered that there's all these Rotary Club meetings and Sertoma Club meetings and Lions Club meetings and, and all these local meetings where they want a speaker every week. And I thought, well, heck, everybody that's getting up there is terrible. I could do better than that. Just knowing that I'm comfortable at the front of the room, you know, I'm a little bit of a show off. I've got acting ability and comedy ability. So I started getting some of these speeches and people said, wow, you're really good up there. You should be a professional speaker. Mm -hmm. A what? A, a, a what? A professional speaker. Do people get paid to do this? And then I went to a conference, a real estate conference, and there was my first keynote speaker. And I was sitting in the audience. I'm like, that's not a realtor. That person is getting paid to do this inspiring motivational speech. And they're telling stories and they're funny. And it's like a revelation. It's like, I could make a living doing this. I'd rather do that than real estate. And so I started to learn about speaking and I became a professional speaker. And I was really having a lot of traction speaking all over the country, getting paid to do keynotes and the positive power of change. But during this process, I had a couple of stories that I would tell over and over again, and I would perfect them and polish them. And at one point I was at a speakers association meeting. National Speakers Association, professional speakers get together and share their secrets. Mm -hmm. Well, I was new. I did a showcase and I got up and I told one of my stories. And I don't just tell a story, I act it out. And this is where the acting and storytelling blended without my being aware of it. I didn't even know I was doing it. But after I got done telling the story, people came up to me like, what is that? 
what is that that you're doing? I've never seen anybody do that before. What is that? Is that, is that something that you can teach? Interesting. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I guess I could teach it. Would you do a workshop? I'd love to take a workshop. So I did a workshop and another workshop and everybody kept signing up for these workshops. And I started to call them story theater because in mm-hmm. storytelling mm-hmm. with action and activity, meaning you act out the scenes in the story, you narrate, you act, you narrate, you act, comedy, drama, form and structure, branding. Over the years, I created this blend, this methodology. And all of a sudden, one day I said, you know what? I'd rather be teaching storytelling mm-hmm. than doing keynotes where I'm just, I'm telling stories, but I'm not teaching stories. And I discovered that I'm a teacher, mm-hmm. I'm a coach. And it was an evolution. I didn't start out to be a storytelling and business teacher or expert or coach. But it was revealed to me through my students who said, oh my gosh, Doug, you've got something here that I've never seen before. This is unique. And then I got hired by companies and then I got keynotes from companies and I was like, wow, it just, so sometimes your life reveals itself to you. your path reveals itself to you. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. What I'm hearing you say is you just went with the flow. And like they say, at every moment you are where you're supposed to be. I agree. I totally agree. There are no mistakes. However, along the road to your success, to your bliss, it feels like you're stumbling and bumbling and clumsy all over the place because you don't find your perfect path without going off on the wrong path, without getting lost on dead ends. It, It just seems to be part of the process that we stumble and bumble into our genius. That is so true. That is amazing. So I am really excited to hear your story. Can you tell us your story? Sure. Well, I told you that I was an actor. I always wanted to be an actor from very early on in my life. It was almost as if I'd always been an actor. And in this lifetime, I was just rediscovering that that's my thing. And so I was really focused on wanting to be an actor, but there was no foundation in my family for that. My mom and dad had nothing to do with it. They didn't support it. They didn't take me to acting school. There was nothing in my high school. There was no theater department. I went off to a one-year uh, small college and they didn't have a theater department. And I felt like, wow, I, I chose the wrong place because I want to be an actor. Well, in the summer, in between my freshman and sophomore year, I got into an acting class in Chicago, a real acting class, just like one in New York City with real actors and a real New York acting coach teaching method acting. And it was so exciting because all of a sudden I wasn't a student among students in some college thing. I was with professionals making a living doing acting, Mm -hmm. TV commercials, radio commercials, modeling. Well, I never went back to college because this was what I wanted. This was just so exciting. I didn't need to do science. I didn't need to do math. I knew I was going to be an actor. I was going to be a movie star. So what do I need that stuff for? So I didn't go back to college. I stayed in Chicago. I started studying acting, driving a taxi during the day, studying acting at night, doing scenes. I got an agent. I started doing some TV commercials. I started getting a little bit of work, but not enough. I started doing plays. I did The Merchant of Venice. Mm. I was the Shakespeare clown, Lancelot Gabo. I did the first production of Greece. I was Danny Zuko in the world premiere production of Greece. I thought I was really hitting it. But the problem was there was no way to really make a living as an actor in Chicago. I mean, even the people that were making a living, they were doing it more in modeling. Mm. They were in acting because there was no TV. There was no movies in Chicago at that time like there is now. So I knew I had to get out of town. I had to go to Hollywood. I had to somehow get to go to Hollywood. So I developed a plan. My master plan was 
going to save a thousand dollars because I'm going to need some money to get started. And I'm going to pay off my Volkswagen bug that I'm buying from my dad. So I set this plan in motion, told a couple of people about it, not a lot, because I didn't want to share my big dream, my big plan, if it didn't happen. So I'm going along, I'm driving taxis, I'm studying acting, I'm trying to save some money, but I'm not getting anywhere. I was having a hard time even paying the bills, much less save money. Well, a year later, I had told my friend Susan about this. And here we are at like midnight after acting class, having a late night breakfast. And she turns to me and she says, Doug, you're still here. Hmm. At least a year ago, you said you're going to go to Hollywood. What's going on? What, what happened to your master plan? I said, well, Susan, I'm having a hard time saving any money. She said, well, how much have you saved? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I've like maybe saved 50 bucks. 50 bucks? And how about the car? You said you're going to pay off your car with your dad. Did you pay it off? No, I've only made three payments in the last year. Doug, what are you going to do? I, you want to go to Hollywood or not? Yes, I really want to go to Hollywood. I really want to go, but I've got this master plan. I need to save a thousand. Stop. I know you've got this perfect plan. Thousand bucks, pay off the car, but you're not getting anywhere. What are you going to do? You're still going to be here in a year having this master plan, not having 70 money? No, I'm not still going to be here in a year. How about two years? You're still going to be here? No, Susan, I'm not going to be here. Well, Doug, here, listen, here's what you do. My mom taught me this lesson a long time ago when I was stuck. I was trying to make a move in my life. I was trying to make a change. I was a little scared. I couldn't do it. And she said, listen, Susan, pick a date. Mm. I said, what, what do you mean pick a date? She says, pick a date, get out your calendar, look out a couple of months, whatever you need to do and pick a date. And on that date, you go, regardless of whether you have a thousand bucks paid off the car, it doesn't matter. You just pick a date. You commit to that date that you're going to take that action. You're going to make that change and you go. Well, I walked out of there at, at one o'clock in the morning with my head spinning. It's like, oh my God, she's right. I'm not getting anywhere. When am I going to go? I got to go. How am I going to go? Well, I picked a date six months later because I figured <laughs> I'm going to really buckle down for six months, save some money. September 15th was the date. Well, by <laughs> September 15th, I had about 250 bucks and I hadn't paid off the car. But I had told my dad, look, I'm going to have to just give you the car back and you're going to have to sell it because I'm not going to be able to pay it off, but I'm going to go to Hollywood. And they said, how are you going to get there? I'm going to hitchhike. Mm -hmm. My parents were absolutely freaked out, especially my mother, but I was freaked out as well. But I had packed my Boy Scout Troop 886 knapsack, not a backpack, knapsack. I had bought an army surplus duffel bag and I packed it with clothes. And on the 15th, I went to a freeway entrance ramp in Chicago and I stuck out my thumb. Mm -hmm. I was petrified. I was scared to death. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. What am I going to do? I don't have enough money. This doesn't make any sense, but I was committed. I'm doing this. And I stuck out my thumb and it took about a half hour before somebody picked me up. But once I was in that first car, oh my gosh, this is happening. Mm -hmm. I got another ride and another ride and another ride. And my trip across the United States, sticking my thumb out was one of the most miraculous experiences of my life because I was so scared because I didn't know it was going to happen. I was petrified about the unknown. Where will I sleep? How will I afford to eat? Well, people would pick me up and they would pay for my lunch and, and they would drive me. Like I got this one ride from Iowa to Denver 
which was like an 18 hour drive with a bunch of students going right to the dorm of my friend in Denver at the University of Denver. I mean, I had these miraculous, miraculous rides and these people taking such good care of me. I got a ride for two days from Denver all the way to California from a guy whose parents had a motel in Albuquerque and we stayed overnight for free and they gave me free meals. Took six days to get to Los Angeles, six days to get to Los Angeles, but everything just kept working out. Well, when I got to Los Angeles, I had one person that I knew in Los Angeles, a student, Neil Hunter, who went to UCLA. Well, he had said, if you get to UCLA, if you get to LA, you can come into my dorm room, you can sleep on the floor until you figure out what's going on. So I got to UCLA, I went to the register. They said, there's no Neil Hunter. So far, beautiful story. It seemed like it was meant to be. Meant to be. Okay, now you threw a curveball. Let's listen to that. Well, now I'm, I'm petrified because I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't know anybody in Los Angeles. You don't sleep on the street in Los Angeles. I could see up on this hill that there were these two dorms. They're both about 16 stories tall. I'd been in a dorm, and I remember in dorms, there's a little lounge area with couches and stuff and a TV that people just hang out in. Sure, the common, figured, the common room. The common room. And I figured, you know what I'm going to do when it gets dark? I'm going to go up to one of those dorms. I'm going to take an elevator to the 16th floor and I'm going to go into that common room really late at night, like midnight. I'm just going to sit out on that couch and I'm going to see if I can sleep for a couple hours. And if I get kicked out, I'll go down to the 15th floor. And I figured somehow I'll get through the night. As I'm walking up the hill towards the dorms, students are streaming down from the hill towards me. And from all directions, they are coming with backpacks and sleeping bags. And they're walking into this huge pavilion. Turns out it's Pauly Pavilion where UCLA plays basketball. Well, I had been praying for a solution for where am I going to sleep tonight? And all of a sudden I saw that they're just walking into this thing. And I walked in with them because I looked like a student. Right. I slept overnight. My first night in Pauly Pavilion is 17,000 person arena. And the lesson of this all is that when you pick a date and you commit to a course of action to change the direction of your life, when you pick a date, things start to fall into place. People show up. I call them angels. I call them allies. They show up. People start to support you in your vision, in your dream. And it's not that it's without fear or danger, but it can only be experienced once you set that date and take that action. So if you are sitting here listening to this and you're stuck, in a job, in a relationship, in a situation, personal, like you want to lose weight, you want to get healthier, you want to change your life, you want to change your direction, you want to go to a different city, whatever it is, pick a date. Don't keep putting it off because you have a perfect plan and you want everything to be just right. It may never be just right, but when you pick a date, it will be just right when you take that action. So pick a date. What if your fear is exactly what you were going through? What if your fear is, what happens if I can't get there? It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of the unknown. But see, when you step into the unknown, it becomes known. You can't know what miraculous things are going to happen until you make that change. And many of the people listening, many of you listening know this from your own life experience. 
having had miraculous things fall into place for you in other ways. But when you're really stuck, and I really, really, really knew I've got to get to Los Angeles. I got to get there. I just have to. I can't become a movie star in Chicago. I have to go to L.A. Well, you know what? After 13 years in L.A., it wasn't happening. It wasn't working out. Yes, I was supposed to get to L.A., but no, I was not destined to become a movie star. It wasn't working. 13 years of giving it everything, just like a relationship that's not working or a job that's driving you crazy. My entire life purpose wasn't working out, and I had to once again realize I have to leave because mm -hmm. I am bitter and I am angry and I am frustrated and I've lost my joy. I've lost my heart. I've lost my soul. My soul's in danger. I have to get out. And I was trying to get out and trying to get out. And once again, I had to remember, well, what did you do to get out of Chicago? I had to pick a date. And so 13 years later on September 15th, mm. I picked a date. Same date. And I left LA. And I did not know where I was going. I did not know what I was going to do for a living. I just know I have to leave. And so I picked the date. You ask me, what is the life lesson that I can pass on to people listening to this? Yeah. When you want to change your life for the better, you can wait and wait and wait for perfect circumstances. You can try to avoid the pain of that change because somebody's going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. It's going to break your heart. Somebody else's heart is going to get broken. People are going to be mad. It doesn't matter. This is about you and your happiness and your joy. Pick a date. Make it happen. I found my joy. I found my path. When I got out of LA, I finally had the best relationship ever. I've been married to my wife, Deborah, for 27 years. She works with me in the business. It's amazing. And she, so for the listeners, she calls herself the VP of everything. I love that title. She is the VP of everything. She's the perfect companion. She's my best friend. She's my teacher. But I wouldn't have had this experience of love and relationship and grandchildren without Deborah. I wouldn't have found story theater. I wouldn't have spoken all over the world and gotten paid to speak all over the world. I was a failure in Hollywood. It, it, di it didn't work. And I thought, oh my God, I wasted all that time. No, because the minute I started teaching storytelling, acting, theater, form and structure, everything I'd learned in Shakespeare, everything I'd learned in performance, all of it. And now message branding. The lesson of my story isn't just some kind of a lesson that's a paragraph. The lesson of my story is what I call a phrase that pays. Pick a date, three words, action-oriented. Now you know what to do. And when you leave this podcast, you listeners are going to leave this podcast and you're going to remember three words. And what are those three words? Pick a date. And it's a simple, simple lesson to remember, but it's very hard to do. I'm sure. I'm sure. I have a question to ask you about your story. So I'm taking you back to your Hollywood days. You gave it 13 years. Mm -hmm. Are you looking back and saying, I should have really cut my losses and left in seven years or whatever that magic year number is? Or are you saying everything happens when it's supposed to happen? No, it all happens when it's supposed to happen because there are signs along the way that things are working. And so you keep figuring, okay, it's working. It's, it's happening. It's building because building a career in Hollywood 
It's very, very hard. There's no rule book. It's very, very scattered, very happenstance, very weird. People say you have to be in the right place at the right time. Well, whatever. I, I, I just couldn't figure it out. But there were times in Los Angeles, I was having the most miraculous, wonderful experiences. Mm. I met some incredibly lovely people who loved me and I loved them. I had some great friends. I did some amazingly cool theater, but I just couldn't crack the movie TV thing. Mm. So I was a artistic success. I won an award for acting in A Midsummer Night's Dream. It was incredible. And so I was having successes, but towards the end, I was starting to get bitter. And I started to slide down this, this path of resentment and anger that it wasn't working out. And then the signs started turning negative. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. Douglas, you're starting to get desperate. And you're really angry and your friends are starting to say, Doug, what's going on? You don't seem to be happy anymore. And so now the signs started to turn around and they started to point back at me. It's like, Douglas, Douglas, come on. You're just, you're angry all the time. Well, you can't know when that time is that you need to pick a date and move on until the pain starts to get to be repetitive. Yeah. And it's there all the time. And people kept saying, Doug, but it could happen tomorrow. Yeah, I know it could have happened tomorrow for the last 13 years. In, in Hollywood, there's this, but tomorrow you could get a TV series, but tomorrow you could get a role. Well, but there was a lot of tomorrows where tomorrow came and I was still angry. It didn't happen. How many tomorrows do I want to wait before I'm happy? So and that's where I finally had to say, I, I, I want to be happy. So I want to be joyous again. I came here joyous. So in addition to pick a date, I'm thinking that another life lesson is read the signs. Yes. Because if you just kept being miserable and waiting for the tomorrow and the tomorrow, you wouldn't have left Hollywood and then you wouldn't have found your beautiful dream life. Right. The challenge though is I am not alone in knowing that the signs were there for quite a while. Hmm. But you just keep putting it off, putting it off because it's going to be hard. It's going to be clumsy. It's going to be painful, emotionally painful, physically painful. People are going to be mad. It's just going to be disruptive as hell. And you don't know what's on the other side. But I am a person who has always been extremely courageous and a risk taker. And so hitchhiking to Hollywood, while some people would say, well, I would never do that. Well, neither would I, unless the desire for change was so strong that I would make that choice and I would take that action. And leaving Los Angeles, I left with one intention, drive east. That was it. Go east, young man, go east. Just get out of Hollywood and go east. I didn't even know where I was going. I figured it out. Because we're all resourceful. We all can figure things out. So if you're in a bad situation, you make it better by picking a date and making a change. You, you will not find those resources, those friends, those solutions until you take that course of action. It's not easy. It's no. scary. Very, very powerful message, Doug. Is there a final message you want to give to the listener? Something that you want to say and that I haven't asked? Well, here's the thing. Your story can change other people's life. Mm -hmm. And it does not have to be profound. It does not have to be life-threatening or dramatic. You don't have to climb Mount Everest or survive cancer or walk away from a car accident having lost both arms. You don't have to have some motivational speaker life stories. 
You just have to have your life story and the lessons you learn from it. And you pass those along to other people. They might be one-on-one. Yes. They might be one on 20. They might be one in front of 6,000 people. It doesn't matter. Find your stories, harvest the stories from your life and ask yourself, what have I learned? What can I pass along to someone? And then when there's that right moment in time, tell your story, share your story, share your life lessons. And if you want to learn more about how to do, that's what my story theater method is all about. Today, when I told you a story, I wasn't just hanging out. I wasn't just ad-libbing. I know exactly what I'm doing. And my story leads to pick a day. It leads in a strategic and logical and linear process to a branded phrase that allows you to know what to do. So if you want to learn more, you can go to my website, www.storytelling-in-business.com. Fantastic. This is for the listeners. All of these links are in the show notes. But the real message is... If you have a story, which we all do, share it. Share it because you don't know how much people want to hear it and learn from it. So be vulnerable and share it. Share your truth. Tell your truth. Yep. And that is the premise of this entire podcast. So thank you for bringing that up, Doc. Thank you for being on this podcast. It was wonderful talking to you. You're quite welcome. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed my dialogue with Doug as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, I truly enjoyed talking to Doug because there is so much that he said in terms of life lessons that resonate with the very premise of my podcast. As always, here are my key takeaways from my discussion with Doug. One, sometimes your life's path reveals itself to you. Two, you don't find your real path without going off on the wrong path. It just seems to be part of the process that we must stumble and slip into our genius. Three, when you pick a date and you commit to a course of action to change the direction of your life, things start to fall into place. People show up. Duck calls them allies and angels, and I call them earth angels, as you may have heard me tell my earth angel story in episode number 21. They show up. People start to support you in your vision and your dream. Don't keep putting it off because you have one perfect plan or you are waiting for the perfect circumstance. Pick a date and make it happen. And lastly, I could not have said this any better. Doug's final message is, your story can change other people's life. It does not have to be profound or dramatic. Each one of us has a life story and the lessons we learned from it, which we ought to pass along to other people. Doug continues to say, find your story, harvest the stories from your life and ask yourself, what have I learned? What can I pass along to someone? And then when there's that right moment in time, tell your story, share your story, share your life lessons. And this brings us to the end of this episode. I will bring you the next episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be blessed.